You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New developments tonight in that fire that tore through a $14 million Shaughnessy mansion over the weekend. Investigators tonight confirming the fire is suspicious. Ted Jernecki joins us from outside the home tonight. Ted, you've learned new information about the owner of that home and the heritage status of the property. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. The registered owner is from mainland China, but he's been living here for about 21 years. He has various real estate holdings. And to be clear, no suspects have been named in this case so far, but the investigation clearly is heading in one direction, and that is arson. The first clue that this fire may have been deliberately set is the fact the home was vacant last night. This house has stood the test of time for more than a century and suddenly a fire erupts and it appears to start at several locations at once. Well, right now we are treating this as, a, as an incendiary fire. We do believe that the fire was open to what we consider unauthorized entry. Investigators determined that the fire was suspicious. Investigators from the VPD and the Vancouver Fire Department are currently gathering evidence and trying to determine the cause. The state video of the home's interior gives you a sense of its grandeur. All day, people have been stopping by to look at the ruins. Some may have been potential buyers, but others knew the home intimately. The driveway was filled with family members coming from around the province to celebrate somebody's birthday, 50th anniversary. A property search shows this address sold in 1999 for $1.75 million. Five years later, $2.15 million, and five years ago, for $10.7 million. The assessed value has also risen dramatically from $10.6 million two years ago to more than $14 million this year. But recently, Vancouver designated this whole neighborhood as heritage properties, leaving its real market value today questionable. A lot of empty houses around? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Everything's empty. Everybody's, everybody's leaving. Everybody is leaving. The current registered owner has been in the news before. A year ago, Pan Mayofei hosted Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at his Vancouver home. It was controversial because the federal opposition accused the Prime Minister of using his position to fund the Liberal Party by granting access to special interest groups at $1,500 a plate dinners. And the old log beams and all that in it? Yeah. Where are you going to find that today? The ornate mantelpiece and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, you point. probably won't be able to find that. And if you do, you're lucky. All right, Ted, so what happens with that property now? Well, the city's not commenting, say they treat these things on a case-by-case -case basis. It's unlikely it'll lose its heritage status. That's unfortunate for the owners, I suppose. Uh, but uh, they, if they do build something here, it'll have to comply to the neighborhood and look something like what's behind me now, but not in disrepair. But there's a good chance that it could also stay vacant for the, for the foreseeable future and thereby avoid that 1% vacancy tax the city's bringing in in 2018. Now, 1% on an assessed value of $14 million is $140,000, and that's a tax bill that probably doesn't apply anymore. Sophie? All right, Ted Trenecki reporting in Shaughnessy tonight. Vancouver police have laid charges connected to the murder of a woman in Vancouver's West End. Second-degree murder charges are approved against 20-year-old Brooklyn Goler from Vancouver. Goler is accused of killing 34-year-old Marlon Mars. Officers found Mars dead inside a residence near the area of Jervis and Harwood Streets on October 13th. 
An unsettling feeling in Salmon Arm tonight. The community in shock as a major police investigation is unfolding. Our CMP are confirming human remains have been found on one of two rural properties being searched. Ramina Dea explains why the disappearance of a number of women in the area recently has some now fearing a serial killer could be at work. Dozens of investigators landed on this farm near Salmon Arm last Thursday. The only significant chunk of information RCMP is confirming is that human remains were found at this remote property on Salmon Road. One victim or multiple victims, that's what I want to know. Terrified residents left wondering. You have farms out here and little hobby farms, that's all you think about. And then you hear about something like this. <laughs> It's kind of scary, all right. The search of the farm now leading investigators about 15 kilometers north to a parcel of land on Spring Bend Road. The connection, RCMP not saying. You know, they don't deploy that kind of police asset if they don't think something, if they're not pretty sure of some police asset if they don't think something, if they're not pretty sure of something, right? RCMP not commenting on whether the search is related to an ongoing investigation, which was the subject of a public warning October 13th, after a woman believed to be in the sex trade was allegedly threatened by a man with a gun in the same area. 36-year-old Curtis Sagmoen is facing several firearms charges, including disguising his face with intent to commit an offense. Police won't say if he is a suspect in the current farm investigation. We're taking it one day at a time. We're fully prepared to be at that location for, for several days to come. Five women have gone missing in the same area of the North Okanagan over the past 20 months. Police say the cases are not linked to the search at the farm at this time. Sagmoen is in custody. His next court appearance is Thursday in Vernon. Romina Dea, Global News. A police officer involved in a shooting at a SkyTrain station last year will not be facing charges. Vancouver officers were called to the 29th Avenue SkyTrain station last December for reports of a man with a machete acting strangely. The suspect was contained inside a SkyTrain car but kicked out a window and refused an order to drop the weapon. He was shot in the abdomen, but survived. The Vancouver police officer who fired the shot did not provide a statement for the Independent Investigation Office, but the IIO's report has determined he did not commit any offense. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team has been called in after a deadly double shooting early this morning in South Surrey. A man has been killed. A woman is in hospital in serious condition tonight. Aaron MacArthur now on what police are saying about the attack and why the pattern is familiar. In what's become almost a nightly routine in Surrey, investigators prowling around neighborhoods in the small hours of the morning dealing with another shooting, this time near Crescent Beach. When, when there's seven that pop off and then a minute later four more pop off, you know that there's something... The file has now been turned over to the integrated homicide team. A man was found at the front door of this home on 36A Avenue. A woman in a car a short distance away, both with gunshot wounds. Two incidents are linked, but recently it's been a trend for suspects to torch getaway vehicles. People who live in the neighborhood, unsettled. 
it's coming closer to the mayor's neighborhood. Maybe there'll be some more action what's going on around here because I don't think people feel very safe. I live in Newton, so my street's on the news every other day, but it's pretty crazy. It's all this way, yeah, stuff like this. So you're getting used to this kind of stuff. Well, you never get used to it, but holy cow. I'm, I'm starting worried about what happened, yeah. I hit still asking for anyone with information to come forward and help the investigation. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An amazing and very likely life-saving find in the South Okanagan to tell you about. A member of the Anarchist Mountain Volunteer Fire Department near Osuyus and his wife were out for a walk yesterday when they heard what they thought was a goat bleeding. They investigated further and found a car upside down in a ravine with the driver laying nearby. Emergency crews were called. The victim in his late 50s or early 60s told the rescuers the accident happened the night before and he'd been laying there for 16 hours. Crews say the victim may have fallen asleep at the wheel. Frustrations in Surrey's Clayton Heights neighborhood tonight, where the city is cracking down on illegal suites. And while the city says it's serious about holding landlords accountable, those same landlords accuse the city of legitimizing the practice in the first place. When Richard and his wife first bought their new construction Clayton Heights home in Surrey, it came with a coach house and a basement suite. We just took it as status quo. Everybody owns a home of this size is going to have multiple suites in there. And in 2014, when he and his neighbor Greg got a letter from the city saying they did not register their basement suite, they were fined $1,000. And on top of the yearly service fee for the coach house, they paid another fee for the basement unit. At no time were they told they needed to get rid of their illegal basement suite. As far as I was concerned, that legalized the suite because why would they, again, why would they accept money for illegal behavior? Instead of telling you. Instead of telling me to shut down my basement suite. According to the city's own numbers, there are more than 2,000 properties with two registered suites, and that doesn't include the main residents. 57 homes have three registered suites, and six have four more. The city says there is legal precedence to collect service fees for legal suites. The money goes to utilities and infrastructure. And because of the area's rental shortage, the city had not been cracking down on illegal suites. We, we look the other way. We don't want to kick people out. So if there's a suite there and there's a parking problem or it's causing other nuisance type issues, we'll try to resolve the issues. But if they do not get resolved, we have taken enforcement action. The reason the city is cracking down on Clayton Heights is because of parking. There have been 7,600 parking complaints and violations in the past few years, and several city initiatives failed in solving the problem. So landlords were given notices to remove their illegal suites. You've got people where there's a vacancy rate in the rental market of under 1%. Where are people going to live? There's a clear need for these suites. After listening to concerns, the city is holding off on enforcement while they try to find a solution to the area's parking and rental problems. Grace Key, Global News. Meantime, a new strategy to crack down on short-term rentals operating illegally in the city of Vancouver is showing some promise. A Yale Town Strata Council has decided to target Airbnb directly instead of going after hosts. Tanya Beja has more on how it's working and what's planned for those not getting the message. Short-term rentals aren't allowed at the Parkview Gardens condo building in Yale Town. Too many people that you don't know coming and going. You don't know who they are. You know that's very dangerous. Yet units inside continued to crop up on sites like Airbnb and the strata wasn't having any luck targeting the owners. Generally what people do is deny that this is going on and in order to get the evidence necessary to prosecute them in court can be quite difficult and it can end up being quite expensive. 
At Airbnb, you can find holiday. So the Strata Council went after Airbnb directly, demanding the listings be removed. The company notified owners, and some complied. But the Strata is now preparing a class action lawsuit directed at Airbnb. They're making a profit out of other people's property without any benefit to these people, and on top of that, these rentals are illegal as well. The company issued a statement saying, when hosts sign up on Airbnb, they must certify they will comply with local rules and regulations before listing their space. Now it's time to book. A coalition of housing advocacy groups says Airbnb needs to do more to improve accountability and transparency. Well, we'd like to see Airbnb post uh, the the addresses, the licenses uh, that the city gives to the hosts, uh, and we'd like to make sure that. In cases where the platforms don't do that, the city is in a position to uh, to go after them and uh, find them if necessary. The pleas come as Vancouver prepares its own short-term rental regulations. The city is seeking public feedback at a hearing Tuesday evening. Tanya Beja, Global News. It's one of Metro Vancouver's most popular provincial parks. Thousands of visitors enjoy Golden Ears Park, navigating the notoriously narrow, twisty access road for the payoff at the end. Now there are plans to straighten it out in the name of safety. But getting closer to nature is going to have the ironic consequence of destroying a lot of trees. Locals fight back in just over a minute. The JFK files that could finally put conspiracy theories to rest or start new ones. What to expect when the documents are released later this week, a little later on the news. And Katy Perry, wedding crasher. How the superstar set off some fireworks dancing with the bride at a St. Louis reception coming up. Right now, though, the famous road to one of Metro Vancouver's most popular parks is about to see some changes, and not everyone's happy about it. Part of the winding forested road leading to Golden Ears Park will be losing its curves. Jean Hua tells us why some people say it won't be an improvement. Some consider it nature's gateway to Golden Ears Provincial Park. The experience starts with that road. It's, you've got the beautiful tree canopies, you've got you know, the, the winding curves. Someone described it as being an, an enchanted forest. The short section of Fern Crescent and Maple Ridge between 132nd Avenue and 236th Street, a favorite among local residents who say its beauty forces you to take notice. It's nice to slow people down a little bit and have them appreciate the drive more so than just trying to get there as fast as they can. And this road does that right off the bat. But is there such a thing as too scenic? The city is looking to straighten out some of the curves in Fern Crescent to improve safety, pointing to scars and trees along the road as proof. This particular section has some challenges in terms of the horizontal geometry, some very tight bends. Now there's no doubt that this beautiful winding road is iconic for the residents here in Maple Ridge, but it's where this road leads that is increasing traffic dramatically. In fact, officials say attendance to Golden Ears Provincial Park is now more than 700,000 visits per year. What we're trying to do is make it Safer for all road users. Still a petition by Nikki Croach opposing the plan surpassed its goal of a thousand signatures in just three days. It's really heartwarming to know that other people just appreciate the beauty of the area as much as I do. Nature lovers like Mark Banford say there aren't many places like this left. 
they can't change the integrity of it, you know. I mean, we, we want to have that feeling as we go through. The city unsure how many trees need to be cut down, saying it will work with residents to minimize the impacts. It's perfect. Just leave it the way it is. <laughs> John Hua, Global News. Some new details tonight about a black bear attack in Mission that injured two people. The sow and her cubs broke into a home, biting one of the residents and later attacking a conservation officer. Jeff Hastings explains how a neighbor helped scare the animals away and what likely saved the homeowner from more serious injury. I heard a scream, and I've never heard a scream like that before, and uh, I come charging out of my house. Early Sunday morning in Mission, Glenn Wells heard air horns and people yelling next door. There's bears, there's bears. One. He keeps a box of bear bangers handy. I came out back here, I saw the two bears standing at the tree there, I lit this bear banger, I threw it like that, and... Didn't even make a move. So Glenn threw another and went to check on his neighbors. She's shook up. She is very scared, I guess. A 21-year-old woman had opened her door to see why her dogs were barking. She was face-to-face with a sow who attacked, knocking her down, scratching and biting. The woman's boyfriend describes punching the bear in the face in the doorway of the house and then chasing it off down the street. It was after the attack that the woman looked at the house coat she was wearing, a thick robe, and realized that it was shredded. If it hadn't been so thick, her injuries would have been much worse. Conservation officers arrive along with RCMP. The mother black bear and two yearling cubs have been destroyed. A conservation officer bitten in the process and like the first victim suffers only minor injuries. A trap has been left out for a surviving third bear cub. Definitely an aggressive threatening uh, behavior that was shown towards even the officers. They had to act quickly and they acted appropriately in order to protect themselves and to protect the public. You see them around quite a bit. They uh, they always coming up and down the street. They attack the garbage cans so usually you can just tell them to bugger off and they they get to it. To conservation officers, there's no doubt the bears were only there because people had provided a food source. Eight homes in the immediate vicinity had garbage strewn around their property. It's a clear indication that there was a problem. Officers hope this was a wake-up call. Jeff Hastings, Global News, Mission. The Caribou region in a struggle to survive. Everybody wanted to come and visit, but uh, it's gone how the wildfires left more than the forest in smoldering ruins next on the news hour also big banks make mistakes too and this man has proof coming up in consumer matter bc's record-breaking wildfire season might be over but for the people who were caught in the middle of the disaster the struggle has just begun the image behind us captures it all i think tonight in the first of a series of news hour follow-ups Nitu Garcha checks in on two interior businesses that were severely impacted by the flames. That was the tub. This was a pantry. Memories are all that Sabrina and Stuart Fraser have left of what was their dream home. It was my mom and dad's home. The Fraser Ranch had been in the family for three generations. I'm just numb. But they say what hurts more than losing the three-bedroom house, barns and cabins is seeing the apocalyptic aftermath of what was a lush green forest. Our whole home was this country. I'm a guide outfitter. And we lost, uh, oh, I don't know, probably 2,000 square miles of just my guide area. We don't know how we're going to 
make it after this. The Frasers are among the hardest hit business owners in the Nazco region west of Quinell, the area decimated by the Plateau wildfire, the largest ever recorded in B.C. Nothing's recognizable. Nearby Fishpot Lake Resort, also struggling to survive. We've lost half of our top tier for campground area. The owners say a big draw for guests here are recreational activities like fishing and hunting. But with most of the forested area surrounding the resort scorched like this, they've lost all their fall and winter bookings. This after a nearly two-month-long evacuation order over the summer. We basically lost a good year. We, we're not sure what's going to happen. Mark Waugh stayed back to fight while his wife and two sons evacuated. He was alone there for 57 days, but Saturday, August 12th, is one he'll never forget. Winds picked up, uprooting trees and taking away his lifeline, the lake, having formed dangerous waves as the blaze roared closer and closer to the resort. We had two big ball of fire who came flying above the resort. Oh, I close my eyes and I can still see it. The once rank six wildfire burned just over 5,000 square kilometers of forest, shattering even those whose homes are untouched. It's awful heartbreaking. My scene area is burnt right down to glacial till. There's no soil left. The fire, lightning caused, but the Frasers have questions about how it spread so significantly and what was done to protect properties like theirs. There wasn't a sprinkler on any building. There wasn't a pump on the ground. Because even with some provincial help, about $1,500 for business owners like the Frasers, the future of their livelihood is bleak. What's there to rebuild? Neetu Garcha, Global News, Nazco. The opposition Liberals grilled the NDP government today over the possibility of mill closures in the interior as a result of those wildfires. The Liberals say more than 45 million cubic meters of timber were destroyed in the Caribou alone. They say they've been told the fiber shortages will close mills and cost jobs. Left. Nothing has been done to address the situation. There's no extra staff, no extra resources, and we're getting awfully used to hearing from the government and the minister that they're on it. Will the facts say otherwise, Mr. Speaker? We have had meetings with Williams Lake, a community she knows well, who said we'll have an answer for you in six weeks about what is needed for recovery. We're talking to First Nations. What we do on this side is listen to communities first, build from the bottom up, not from the top down like this government has done in the past. Consumer Matters now and a warning tonight about problems that can happen when setting up a power of attorney for an aging relative. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, joins us with one man's horror story. And Yeah, and a lot of frustration. Thanks to you, too. With an aging population, it's a good idea to have a conversation with parents or grandparents about having a power of attorney, a legal agreement where one person gives another person the power and authority to act on their behalf in financial or legal matters. Even if you have power of attorney, it's important to make sure it's set up properly to avoid future complications locations as one Vancouver man learned the hard way. And I wanted to ensure that his account had me on record as the power of attorney so that I could then transact and pay his bills. Three years ago, Brian Pang became power of attorney so he could handle his father's finances. Brian's dad has dementia. Brian says in 2014, he provided HSBC in Richmond with the proper paperwork where his father is a premier client. 
Brian says he was set up online by the bank to access his father's account, allowing Brian to make payments on his father's behalf. What I didn't realize until later was that as a power of attorney, we actually have a separate account that the banks usually set up for us. In this case, they did not do that. Brian says he was not technically recognized as power of attorney at the bank, even though he had the legal documents to prove it. Meantime, another family member this past summer was able to take Brian's father out of his care home and withdraw cash from Brian's father's account. Well, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. For three months, Brian says he went back and forth with the bank trying to have HSBC acknowledge his power of attorney status. While the bank's legal team investigated, Brian says his father's account was frozen, which meant Brian could not pay his father's medical bills. Incredible stress. You know, my father's in hospital. Um, I'm spending my time emailing and calling. Eventually, the bank reinstated Brian's power of attorney account. There was a bona fide mistake made, and, you know, the, the, the original request wasn't filled. Despite Brian's unfortunate experience, this Vancouver estate lawyer says it's still important to have a power of attorney, especially before a parent reaches a level of incapacity. Failing to do so can cause complications. Which would result in a child having to um, go to court and be appointed a committee of their parent, which could be uh, quite expensive as well as there may be some oversight with respect to the public trustee and, and therefore complicated. As for Brian Pang, his advice is to ensure power of attorney is set up properly with any financial institution. You know, my advice is check, double check. Now, we did reach out to HSBC, but a spokesperson would not talk about Brian's case specifically, nor would they come on camera. But in an email statement said the experience Mr. Pang described to Global TV is unacceptable by our standards and is not consistent with the high level of service we strive to deliver. We sincerely apologize to Mr. Pang and his family and have taken steps to resolve the issue as well as help ensure an experience such as this doesn't happen again. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thanks very much. Good reminder. The first step in building Donald Trump's wall. Do you think people are still going to try to cross? The prototypes and what happened when the cameras were rolling. But first, a leap of faith for more than 200 people in Brazil. remarkable video out of Brazil of a world record attempt, 245 thrill seekers tied to ropes, jumping at the same time from a 30 meter bridge. Their mass leap creating a snake-like string of humanity suspended and swinging under the span. The stunt involved a total of 400 people, 20 kilometers of rope and a thousand harnesses. Guinness World Records hasn't certified this one yet, but it appears to have broken another Brazilian record with 149 people last year. Oh, the things people will do for a right. record, eh? Amazing. Donald Trump is one step closer to building his border wall between the U.S. and Mexico with eight prototypes now completed. The full-sized models are on display for all to see, including the people the wall is designed to keep out. Just east of San Diego, between the two existing border fences, mock-ups of President Trump's proposed border walls are taking shape. These are pretty tall. They are, 18 to 30 feet tall. 
Today, the full wall isn't funded. Only these samples built by contractors. There are a total of eight prototypes, four of which are constructed out of concrete and then four that are constructed out of alternate material. The president said he'll come to see the final product scheduled to be finished on Thursday. So what happens now? Does the president come out here and literally say, okay, I like that one? We're going to test it for breachability for the subterranean aspect. Can we dig under it? Can we cut through it? Can we scale over it? What happened? The people are crossing. Almost on cue, a group of asylum seekers jumped over the existing fence to turn themselves in to agents on horseback. The girl there with a the pink backpack. Can you explain to me what's going on? This is a reality of, of everyday border enforcement. Another reality? People just a stone's throw away will ultimately decide if Trump's wall works. We made our way to the Mexican side of the border, and this is the primary fence, the thing that Donald Trump doesn't think is big enough to keep people out of the United States. And this is the spot where earlier we saw those folks jump over the wall and into the U.S. <laughs> it's a high wall. You think people are still going to try to cross? Is this new big wall is going to stop Mexicans from coming to the U.S.? No sé por qué. Donald Trump está aferrado con el, con el gasto innecesario de esto. Life goes on in the shadow of the prototypes, but still missing money for the wall itself. In Health Matters tonight, a new study has identified potential risk factors for postpartum depression, which affects about 10% of women after childbirth. Researchers at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston reviewed the medical records of more than 20,000 mothers. Postpartum depression was more common in women who delivered before their babies were full term and in women who did not have anesthesia during delivery. Those who had babies in the fall and summer were also more prone to depression. The study did not look at why those factors might affect mothers. They say more research is needed. The last secrets of the JFK investigation. The story of the assassination has changed in recent years. What historians hope to find when thousands of remaining documents are revealed later this week. And the uninvited guest at this St. Louis wedding reception that no one seemed to mind. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A dance partner the bride never expected. The A-list wedding crasher who took the party to the next level right after the forecast. You'll see her better when we when we show you the actual video. She's wearing blue overalls. So as you wear to a wedding when, <laughs> when, when you're a rock star. Maybe. No, that's true. Uh, okay, let's check uh, with Christy, who's here with a look at the forecast. And I know there's some sunshine coming a little bit later. we got to get there first. That's exactly right. Only one day this week do we have rain in the forecast. So I'm ah. going to show you which. Coming up in just a few seconds. First, though, particip per sorry, participation is helping Canada celebrate 150 years by presenting the 150 ways to stay fit. And tonight's suggestion for you is skating. It was a great day, so a slow start to that beautiful week that we're talking about. However, the North Coast got hammered today with wind and rain. Some areas have already seen 60 
to 70 millimeters of rain. And it's not over and done with yet. There's another wave that is set to push in. That's going to tackle your area through the day tomorrow. Here's a look at the warnings. Some areas along the north coast inland sections and coastal sections and Haida Gwaii could see up to 200 millimeters of rain by the end of the day tomorrow. We're absolutely expecting some flooding. Um, watch for rivers and streams. Those levels will rise significantly along with gusty winds up to 110 kilometers an hour. Those winds are also pushing into the BC Peace River area. Tonight, 90 kilometer an hour winds with gusts up to that. Uh, so potential for power outages in these areas over the next 12 to 24 hours. You can see the moisture just hammering that area and that's storm number one and then another wave that's set to push in uh, through the day tomorrow and it is going to be significant, bringing significant snow into areas north of sort of the Fort St. John region. Meanwhile, tomorrow, lots of sunshine across the south, all of that moisture to the north, but Wednesday, that front pushes down. So we will see a brief period of rain on Wednesday across most regions, cooler temperatures, more cloud, but we rebound nicely on Thursday. In the meantime, this is your tomorrow. So cloud, rain, wind all across the north coast from Prince George south. That's where we'll see lots of sunshine, dry conditions. These temperatures are a good three to four degrees above seasonal for this time of year. And that's the same across the south coast. So we may see some cloud cover, especially in the afternoon hours, but enjoy the sunshine. Wednesday is when we have the showers that will push in from that front and then we rebound nicely on Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Happy birthday to Sam uh, Lanzarota and uh, also happy anniversary to Angie and Ray Rock. Congratulations to you and look at these beautiful fall colors from Prince George. Fall colors are in full force right now and uh, if you want to check out a couple more places across the province where you can see fall colors you can check out my Twitter page I've list, made a list. Oh yeah some mm -hmm. great photos there. Thanks very much Christy. Okay. Well the headliner for next February's Super Bowl halftime show has been revealed. You do halftime? I do halftime. You do halftime? I do halftime. You're doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl? You do halftime! Yes, Justin Timberlake confirming the news in a new video with Jimmy Fallon. It'll be the pop star's third appearance on the big stage and the first since he's been invited back after 2004 in the infamous wardrobe malfunction with Janet Jackson. Backlash erupted almost immediately online, suggesting Timberlake is returning while Janet Jackson has been banned since the incident. The NFL says Jackson has not been banned. her. Pop superstar Katy Perry making a St. Louis couple's wedding even more memorable by crashing the reception at the Four Seasons Hotel and, as you just saw, dancing with the bride. Perry was in St. Louis for a concert. Guests say she stayed for about 10 minutes before making an exit. Did she ghost? Did she just... <laughs> she, ghost <laughs> she, took, like she took her <laughs> wedding favors and split. Out she, out she went. Pretty, pretty she got cool a free surprise. drink, she visited the buffet, and then she bailed. Out. All right, Squire, what are you working on? Okay, we're going to talk Whitecaps. A little disappointing yesterday. Yeah. Well, disappointing the last two weeks. They didn't get first, but the Caps do get to start the playoffs at home. The last little bit is always the hardest, and this is this bit, the playoff success. Can they put aside the disappointment of not finishing first and make a long playoff run? And the document dump that could finally put JFK assassination conspiracy theories to rest or not.
Are you guys uh, comparing notes about cycling events? No, we're online shopping. <laughs> That's right. At least I'm, it's yeah, not Tinder. We actually are, sorry. <laughs> hey, I want to give a little shout-out, not that he may hear it, but a shout-out to Jay Triano. Yeah. SFU player, coach, former Grizzlies, uh, color guy. guy, Team Canada, Raptors, and now the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. He uh, got the job after they fired their head coach just three games into the regular season. He plays tonight, or his team plays tonight against the uh, Sacramento Kings. Hopefully, they take the interim tag off and he has that job for a while. Okay, everyone is feeling good about the uh, Canucks' current road trip, which has seen them win three of four, and all of those wins were pretty convincing. The shutout against Ottawa dominating Buffalo Friday, Detroit yesterday. But here is something. After eight games this season, the Vancouver Canucks have exactly the same record they had after eight games last year. Four wins, three losses, and an overtime loss or shootout loss. And what is also beginning to look like last year, the growing injury list. Last night, Troy Stetcher joined it. It was kind of a nondescript moment in the second period. He goes knee-on-knee with Thomas Tatar. Didn't look like a hard collision at all, but sometimes it doesn't take much. Knee in the wrong spot, stopping quickly. He uh, hobbled off the ice and then went to the dressing room, was sent back to Vancouver today. No prognosis yet. The uh, following players have not scored as many goals as Derek Dorsett. Patrick Kane, Jamie Benn, Patrick Leinig, Jenny Malkin, John Tavares, and Connor McDavid. If I was Dorsett, I would renegotiate my contract right now. Strike while the stick is hot. He has five goals already. Now, that's not going to last, but he is a big reason the Canucks are over 500. He leads Vancouver in everything, not just goals, points, hits, penalty minutes, shooting percentage, which is 35.7. As I said, it's not going to last. His best ever scoring year was 12. But for a guy who went through hell... To get back from a serious neck injury and surgery, it's a great story and a great tribute to perseverance. And even though he gets a lot of up players upset at him, everybody in the NHL has respect for this guy and what he's gone through. All right, Kings in Toronto tonight. Well, Mitch Marner, who has been struggling so far this year, helps start this goal. It's a Matt Martin tip-in, his first of the year. And then on the power play... Tyler Bozak's going to score here. The Leafs had a 2-0 lead at that point. It's 3-2. They are in the third period. So how do we view the Vancouver Whitecaps going into Wednesday's single knockout playoff game with San Jose at BC Place? They had set themselves up to finish first in the West, and let's face it, they blew it, both at home and on the road in their final two games. Now, they still made the playoffs, and any prolonged postseason success will make everybody forget about the last two weeks. But until that happens, the stumble at the finish line is bothering a lot of fans. You've got to win the next game, you know. There's always the next game. There's always another game, a new day today. Disappointing yesterday, but listen, we've come so far. So now the fun begins. So momentum, yeah, if we can win Wednesday, then it sets us up nicely for the next game. The Whitecaps have come far. But for Caps supporters, it's hard to look past the last two weekends and where the Caps have fallen to. A pair of costly misses. Sunday versus the Timbers, the previous weekend at home against San Jose. No first place, no first round bye, and now a one-match knockout round game against the same San Jose squad they couldn't put away at BC Place when it mattered the most. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's do or die. Like you said, you know, I mean, maybe we haven't been doing our job as of late, but right now it's it's put up or shut up, really. So, I mean, for us, we really have to either show up on Wednesday and show what we're about or we go home. The Caps received a good playoff primer at Providence Park in Portland. It was a 95-minute pressure cooker that should harden them for the stresses associated with that one-game winner-moves-on match. But here's the thing. Not only have the Caps backed into the postseason, winning just one of their final five matches, but of all the six playoff sides, Vancouver has the fewest home victories. This is, you know, we, go, we play 34 games all season and uh, to get to this point. So now it's knockout football. It's the fun part. It's um, a chance to, uh, you know, really make a run and make this season worthwhile. Listen, I, I'm, I'm one of these Vancouverites, as you call them, that wants the Canucks to do well, the Lions to do well, and, and obviously the Whitecaps to do well. And I don't like it when the professional teams here don't do so well. So, you know, we've got a chance to do well. We know we haven't had much success in the playoffs, but the only way you change that is by winning a game and winning games in playoffs. Okay, you got to see this Thailand Cup soccer penalty kick moment between Bangkok and Satri. Oh, he hit the crossbar. The goalie, yeah, he missed. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's in. Take another look. It's the backspin off the bar. Never celebrate too early. Don't get dejected too early. I love the point, though. Hey, look. My life has changed. <laughs> and Bangkok won it. The team that scored there ended up winning in penalty kicks. A comedy and a tragedy in three acts. Like, it's <laughs> amazing watching their reaction. Thank no you. No kidding. All right, thanks, Squire. Thank you. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll have an exclusive sit-down with the Chilliwack school trustee who has landed himself in hot water over some questionable comments. Barry Newfeld has served on the board for over two decades. He's calling out the sexual orientation and gender identity program, which has been controversial from the start. Many are divided on whether these issues should be taught in schools. We'll tell you what he said and how he is defending himself. We'll have that story and much more coming up tonight at 11. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Jay. All right. What really happened on the day JFK was assassinated? A document dump coming up on Thursday might answer that question. We'll have more coming up after this. Coming up on ET Canada, another Hollywood filmmaker is embroiled in a sex scandal. Plus, Matt Damon reacts to the Harvey Weinstein allegations and Justin Timberlake to the Super Bowl and that old wardrobe malfunction. And George Clooney and Julianne Moore are raising kids in a Trump world. That is coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Kristen Sophie. All right, Roz, thanks very much. Well, it stunned the world when it happened, and more than a half century later, the assassination of John F. Kennedy still fascinates. It's in the headlines once again this week with the news that the final batch of secret files is set to be released later this week. The Kennedy assassination in November 1963 launched a thriving conspiracy industry and stoked by questions raised in Oliver Stone's 1991 movie, JFK. Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who? The official investigation concluded that one man, Lee Harvey Oswald, a former Marine who once tried to defect to the Soviet Union, acted alone in killing the president. 
But Congress decided in 1992 that because so much information in the Kennedy files was classified, undermining public confidence in that conclusion, the National Archives was given 25 years to make all of it public, bit by bit. The last of it is due out Thursday. I'm hoping to learn a lot more about what the government knew before the assassination about this man, Lee Harvey Oswald, because the story of the assassination has changed in recent years. One big question, what was Oswald doing in Mexico two months before the assassination? President Trump says he'll allow the long-blocked and classified JFK files to be opened, assuming the CIA and FBI don't convince him to keep some of it classified adding to the drama for Thursday's big reveal. Pete Williams, NBC News, Washington. Will it put any conspiracy theories to rest? Or create new ones. Oh, right. yes, Probably exactly. just create new ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, sometimes for some conspiracy theorists, it doesn't matter how much no. you lay upon them, no. they will not believe you. No. Yeah. Fake news. They're convinced. We know one thing that isn't fake news, and that is there... That is that there is a new member of the global family. Yes. Congratulations to our noon show producer, Vanita Prasad. That's not her. That is not.